0: Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And if you're interested in some insider perks, you can pitch in a few dollars a month at Patreon.com forward slash CleanTechnica. That's Patreon.com forward slash CleanTechnica.
1: Welcome back to Clean Tech Talks, where I'm speaking with Anders Forslund, PhD, and CEO of Heart Aerospace. Aeros- Heart Aerospace is building a 19-passenger electric regional airplane and has hundreds of pre-orders. Some news from our company first. We're going to be raising a round of investment early in 2022. If you're interested in being in the know, you can sign up to be contacted at cleantechnica.com backslash invest backslash. You'll get financials, a pitch deck, and our founder and former CEO will personally be reaching out to you to ask you about your hopes for both CleanTechnica and the investment money. We want to tailor our investment vehicle appropriately. Again, that's cleantechnica.com backslash invest backslash. And right, let's talk about the fuel cycle because you, you know, Breakthrough Ventures, who I think is in supporting you guys, also yeah. supports ZeroAvia. Uh, yeah. Zero Avia. zero zero avia is a hydrogen fuel cell startup with very similar scaling expectations. I think they're a bit more aggressive in terms of scaling up to larger sizes, but you know, you must have spent time. Looking at hydrogen versus batteries and other and biofuels and synthetic fuels. So, talk about why you made this choice, which I support fully, by the way. What? Which I support fully, by the way.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Thank you. So I know that you know there's a lot of sort of uh, how would I say there's a big competition and there's a lot of competing technologies and that I think that is uh, how it should be. And I think it's a sign of strength for the industry that several pathways are are, are being pursued. You know, uh, I, I'll I'll do the Gandalf quote, but you know, you should you should not be too eager to pass judgment because not even the very wise know all ends. <laughs> so I'm trying to live by that. but- this is uh, a very good
1: CEO quote so far, but come on, hydrogen for for <laughs> fewer scale stuff.
2: Yeah, no, no, I, I, and but 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 essentially how i like to look at it is obviously you know the 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 cycle of getting from from grid energy to to getting to you know propulsive energy and that's sort of kind of prohibitive it's a large large you know going through electrolysis and you know cryogenic cooling and all that stuff and ultimately it's also what i think is like people are looking at aerospace and they're seeing okay let's do two things let's do a let's do what what, what you know spaceships are doing which is cryogenic hydrogen and they're saying b let's do what electric cars are doing," mm-hmm. and 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 i think one of these <laughs> is the one that's going to be the least expensive for the customer like well, like if you go
1: the way i articulate that- and I, th- I think you and i are aligned with this based on what i've been reading and based on our conversation so i say my, I, i've done the assessment across all modes of transportation looking which ones will electrify which ones won't easy to electrify in the short term and I've done times projections. And so my, my projection is that everything every incontinent flight yeah. right in you know normal sized continents, we're not talking you know all of Russia all the way from across Russia, but North America, across the United States, across Europe, all that's going to be electrified for aviation. The power, the energy density, the weight, the cost, it, you know, it makes sense that that scale works. The, the, the problem is yeah. long haul aviation. Yeah. It's a hard problem. They run the yeah. longest routes. They produce the most, most NOX. They have the most contrails. They run overnight more. Yeah. It's the cross-oceanic cross stuff. And it's also stuff that's outside of the jurisdiction of countries. Yeah. In the ICAOs, you know, bailiwick. That's not, I yeah. ticked off the ICA and some ICAO representative recently by talking oh, about this. Am I, I going to
2: be a trouble and trouble now by associating with you?
1: No, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> I, I ticked off people from Maersk yesterday, so oh, okay. <laughs> um, they. You may have heard that uh, Maersk has announced they've purchased eight methanol-powered, green methanol-powered, you know, post Panamax uh, container ships from Hyundai Heavy Industries. Yeah. Except there's no supply of this stuff, so they're gonna, and it's a dual fuel thing, so they're actually just gonna be running on bunker fuel like every other ship.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, so, uh, but uh, but yeah, emperor I'm, no
1: clothes. Sure. So yeah, yeah, sure.
2: The, the point of point
1: about hydrogen for me, and in what do we do about long haul? You're in a perfectly positioned because it's an incrementalist thing. It's going to take 40 years to solve long haul aviation, yeah. and some of that will be solved simply by doing exactly what you and I are doing now. You're in Sweden. I'm on the West coast of North America. We're having a face-to-face business conversation where we can see each other's faces and, you know, have good stuff. And so much COVID has thrown us a decade into the future of this type of communication for business. I was using it before COVID. I've worked all over the world, but still now everybody knows how to do this. I was, you know, I was unusual before and now I'm, just normal. yeah. So, um, but that long haul aviation, some of it will diminish, but it's not going to go away. And so we have yeah. to solve for that. I, do you know, do you hear about Elon Musk's plan for this, by the way?
2: Yeah. The flying, the starship sort of the
1: suborbital. I actually yeah. did the math on that. I, I actually looked yeah. at flying from, I think it was New York to Hong Kong on a normal jet with a normal passenger miles and stuff and I did the comparison on a per seat basis as best as I could with the starship and it actually worked out to about 60% of the CO2 per passenger mile to go suborbital with with Musk's plan than it than it would to take a, a normal plane.
2: Yeah, now that that is uh, wow, that I I, I I definitely wasn't expecting it and I uh, so uh, next time, is it Vancouver that you are? Uh, I, I hope. T- I hope. I hope one time I get, I get to fly on that thing. Then I don't think
1: we're. I don't think we're going to see it because there's not that many people who are willing to strap themselves into a rocket fifty kilometers offshore, <laughs> and then get on a yeah. boat. But it's an interesting <laughs> time. There's a lot of stuff yeah. changing, right? And this uh, is
2: you know, and, and there are all these things about electrification which are super interesting, which are we're not getting into because of the sort of energy density, but. You know, the, the, the altitude record for for horizontal flights is with an electric solar uh, unmanned mm-hmm. plane, it's NASA helio. So there's a lot of things that if you start going up and you can, you know, you know reach higher speeds and, you know, you, you don't have, because sort of, um, it's just because turboprops or are, are, are jet engines are limited by the, the access to oxygen, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of things happening there, but I will sort of, sort of what, I, what I sort of, want to discuss briefly as well as sort of just building an electric plane is that I, aircraft are not just, you know, they're, at, they're sort of at the limit of our organizational abilities <laughs> as the primates that we are to, to, to manufacture, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or to take, you know, a project like, you know, like a rocket, which is, I think, is really on the limits. You know, people used to, like I grew up in a in a, in a house with my, my dad had these books from the 1960s, the sort of 2001 Space Odyssey stuff. And, you know, you show about, you know, cities, uh, you know, in orbit and cities and other planets. And, you know, everybody was sure in the 1960s that we could do that. Right. Mm-hmm. But it sort of ended up in the, although the sort of technology, the, the pieces of the Lego puzzle are, are there when it comes to technology, the sort of organization <laughs> that is required to build like a Death Star. Oh, well, it's a bad example, but, 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 you know, it is like even aerospace is something that countries struggle, continents, you know, like, like it, it's companies struggle with this. And we've created an atmosphere where for the past 80 years or may, maybe maybe less, but, you know, we had a generation like the, the Kelly Johnson generation, which sort of we're, were in it from the start and, you know, we're, we're through the wars where they need to learn how to do stuff quick and dirty. And, you know you have the space race and you have the concord and and the sr 71 and all of this stuff and then we ended up in a place where it's more about okay we, we've settled on a concept we've built the supply chain and we're ossifying that that structure a little bit we're not really teaching people anymore how to be a chief engineer. like if you were looking at a at starting um, say okay you know we're going to build uh, this next generation whatever it's a hydrogen plane or whatever something that's going to be be revolutionary you're going to do it so it's ready in 2040 like some people are saying then it's like where do you find the chief engineer for that Mm -hmm. (laughs) where where do you find a person like you need to find somebody that's my like if if you want to have a technology that's ready in in 2040 or 2050 you need to find a person that's sort of my age or in their in their their mid to late 30s to see one, one of those projects through are those people around are we are we educating those people are we are we, you know, learning how to build these organizations that are not just sort of incrementally improving every component, but actually, you know, changing the overall thing. So it's 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 like this massive organizational thing, which is, is something that uh, shouldn't be underestimated. And I, and I try, one of the reasons that I want to speak about this so, as plainly as I can, it's not because sort of aerospace. I, I mean, I think that sometimes I, I can come across as being like this clueless guy who talks about this, like it's, Very, very easy, but it's not. (laughs) Let's just put this in
1: context. You've got three masters and a PhD in different overlapping fields. You really are a rocket scientist. And uh, electric drivetrains are much easier, but you're still putting a pressurized aluminum tube with people inside it, in the air, and then landing it again. It's yeah. non-trivial. <laughs> so.
2: It is non-trivial, but the thing that I spend the most time doing, and it's actually like I take a very engineering approach to it, is is sort of how do we do? There's there's you know the analysis chain of, of sort of taking something that's out there in the real world, or, or or you know creating the sort of starting from the mathematics to building computer models to you know mm-hmm. doing these finite element simulations or fluid dynamic simulations, you know every, every part of that it's an abstraction and where you're adding Mm -hmm. sort of uncertainty and error into your assumptions, right? Because you're not going to be able to predict the world perfectly. Right. And you're, but the, uh,
1: unless you're the digital twin guy with that works with NASA and you think you're going to actually model the down to the atomic. Oh God.
2: Oh, wow. (laughs) Is there such a guy? Yeah. Uh,
1: He's he's actually um, works in, he was a product lifecycle management guy in engineering, Michael, Ri or Grieve Michael Grieve 2003 he created the concept of the digital twin yeah. which has been adopted by NASA and aerospace where they try to actually model the entire scale of everything down to the smallest possible scale in a digital twin so they can get a high resolution simulation and also yeah. rotate it around, look at it, do all that stuff, do you know embed all the get all those value propositions. But my God, trying to get from the macro yeah. to the micro in a single simulation.
2: It's yeah, just... no, and this is actually exactly what I spent my PhD doing, you know, trying to figure <laughs> out this and, 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 you know, we were, was a department that talked a lot about digital twins and, and like one of the things, you know, and, and we're sort of starting to implement some of that now. I was mm-hmm. sort of, I think that we've been in, a, as an industry for a long time, looking at digitalization, digitalization, we're, and mm-hmm. actually, you know, actual reality is, is actually even more immersive than virtual reality. It is. So, uh. So, so that's why I, I, I want to be at a place where you know build hardware in, in a sort of hangar and do that as much as we can. But but what I was sort of one thing that you learn and you know you have engineers and they do this and you so so they discretize you know the the the, the, the uh, differential equations they, they they you know make all this stuff and they add some uncertainty and some error and they, you mm-hmm. know their models sometimes they use commercial software that have error inside of it. And on the very last, if you, if you model this entire, there's, there's a paper by Oberkamp, which I think is great on this, but if you model the entire chain on this, then at the very last thing is like, how do you represent this and communicate this <laughs> to the people that are around you? And, you know, the more I started looking into this in an in, uh, in aerospace and the, the companies I work, it's like this, you know, you have these small, small uncertainties from discretization and here and, you know, model error here, and then you have this massive void where people are paying no attention on how to communicate to their superiors, for instance, what the, what it is that they've done and what it is that they're trying to show. And so it is sort of really about, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, this, it's more about communication than it is about engineering to build an aircraft. And yeah. uh,
1: I, I look at the Boeing 737, or the Boeing 737 Max, I, I yeah. think that's the one that... Um, yeah, that's the one where they moved the wings and they tried yeah. to compensate with electronics. And you could just tell they they put it into production and they did the test. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many failing conditions because they did a bunch of modeling where errors crept in and crept in and crept in. And then they ended up with a plane which liked to dive into mountains.
2: Yeah, and it, and it, it, it is. So I know there's there's so many good, like I was, there's the Feynman or. Uh, the book from from the Challenger disaster, which was sort of similar thing, you know, it's
1: Edward like, Tufte stuff, yeah.
2: Yeah, In there's a representation there's, yeah, exactly Tifty, data. yeah, exactly. He's one of my my uh, my heroes, actually. <laughs> I think I have his books here, like and, and the cognitive style of PowerPoint, where you have that one slide that they made to describe the like it's it's so powerful stuff.
1: Well, and, uh, I'm living in one of the, one of the firms I'm engaged with uh, we're we're in the world of digital twins and we're looking at the abstractions that enable people to get past cognitive biases. We spend yes. a lot of time dealing with Kahneman's cognitive biases and noise reduction and seeing how we can represent data so that it helps people understand so they don't have the massive conceptual cognitive load of creating abstract of turning an yeah. abstraction into something three-dimensional but then not pretending that it's reality either. Yeah. Right. So they understand they're looking at something artificial, but gaining a context and an insight they wouldn't be able to gain otherwise. But it's not reality.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. and, and you know, it's one of those things. It's also that there's a what I noticed a lot is that there's a focus on tools. Like there's a mm-hmm. there's a big big focus on, and, and you know, like buying an expensive guitar doesn't make you Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> like 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 there's there's no like. When you have to spend time on your, yourself and you have to think about what you're you know pen and paper can be really, really good and you know just thinking about <laughs> what well, you know what you're doing and and not have you know there they' they'll be the you know PLM software guys or the or the, you know the and they will say sell you very very expensive software
1: you just closed a thirty five million dollar funding round <laughs> oh. series A. So I'm sure there's salespeople coming out of the woodwork trying to sell you stuff that you they think you need. So let's let's pivot a little bit. So your big milestone for your seed funding was the engine on a mount, five months, possible to do because it was electric. Yeah. Battery electric is really, really dirt simple compared to any other choice. Hydrogen is massively more complex than battery electric. The question for you, the $35 million Series A, that comes with a projected timetable and that projected timetable ends with ends in theory with certification in 2026, two, two things. What's the inter, what's the next big milestone where we're going to have an airframe with engines mounted on it and starting yeah. in the certification test flights. And the second one is $35, mil, $35 million is not going to get you to manufacturing airplanes. So, yeah. so how much more do you need? I mean, a uh, Tesla so, took so- 10 billion, but it's a different market.
2: Yeah. No, and I think that, you know, it's dependent, but what we think it's, it's on the order of depending on how much we take in-house. So this is mostly about, you know, trying to be the, the sort of system integrator of everything that's being, you know, you, you go to the same tier ones as Airbus and all that. And, and there's a, actually a model. So we model this two ways. There's the ran model, which is sort of, you, you actually sort of project based on aircraft passenger capacity and, and, and sort of cruise speed. You, mm-hmm. can, you can sort of benchmark and see where you end up in costs. And we've also done the sort of bottom up approach of seeing this is people we need to hire, this is the stuff we need to do. And you end up somewhere, which is much less than people would think for for mm-hmm. a part 23 aircraft. And it's, it's in the order of half a, half a billion dollars, right? Okay. And it might go up, but it's not okay. in the order of $5 billion. Uh, uh, how, uh, many,
1: how many units of aircraft can you deliver for 500 million though?
2: Now you'll get to sort of early stage production so you'll have your your, your jigs and your molds and all of that stuff but, but then at that point but, you're uh, going to be
1: selling in revenue and you're going to be getting yeah, exactly. revenue from the units okay
2: yeah a- and as for m- sort of my de-risking perspective here there's the there's the first part of it with this you know demonstrate the electric propulsion system and i want to be clear like we've demonstrated it <laughs> so the the the, 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 the technology is there the physics is there but obviously there's a long route making sure that that's certified and that you perform that in in all corner cases. So that's something, you know, we have to, you know, go down to the the supply chain, you know, all the, you know, design organization approvals, flight testing of these, et cetera, et cetera. And and that's not a cakewalk.
1: Every country too, because they all have their FAA. So you're going to have to do a taco for, you know, the United States FAA and, you know, uh, every, you're going to go through a lot of regulatory approvals for every new market you enter into.
2: Yeah. So. And uh, and that's some some risk, but it's not necessarily a technology risk. It's a known now, now risk this, too. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then the sort of the, the second thing is that I don't like we're we built we built a subscale model of our plane, which we will be flying shortly. But it's more of the it's more of a sort of an exercise to prove that we don't have to build a full scale version of it. It's so a one one to five subscale. One to five. So it's
1: now is, yeah, is that, it's, it's like that, a five um,
2: meter wingspan uh, drone that we built out of carbon fiber composites. That is just. It's something that we want to show. It's it's well. First of all, we're just excited to get something flying that it's our aircraft.
1: That's interesting one because the the scale of prototyping for you know you know micro to mac to make uh, to micro to macro is an interesting one. Um, my my observation from looking at uh, you you know Google McCanny, the airborne wind energy guys.
2: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. so um, I spent a lot of time looking at their technology and airborne wind energy as a whole and rotorcraft as a whole. And my observation was that McCanny had built this too small a prototype because their prototype was below the, you know, it's kind of roughly, the rough rule of thumb is it's got to be a quarter scale before you're getting into the same yeah. physics range. And the quarter yeah. scale is not just in one dimension, it's the total three-dimensional volume.
2: So, oh, so a quarter scale and volume wise. Yeah. So we're building one fifth scale length wise. So that's like 125 volume wise. Yeah. It's just,
1: it's a reasonable step. Yeah. But the, but, the observation but it, I would make is it doesn't, it, from my perspective, it doesn't de-risk the airframe substantially. But you're de-risking no. the airframe by going with a very, very standard above, you know, above, you know, top wing, hanging nacelle. You're not doing any of the innovative stuff like yeah. uh, Lilium or the other exactly. ones.
2: Exactly. So, so we're not really trying to prove that this aircraft flies. I mean, <laughs> this is something that we are spending uh, the money that we spend on the subscale and we're working together with, with some friends of ours that are really great at building these as well. Yep. And you know, you, you end up de-risking de- some, some very stupid things. Like how do you fold the nacelle when you have the flap and how do you fold that? And, and God, how many times you've done that and, and just, it's just such a trivial, like, you know, it's like three-dimensional thinking. It's like yeah. a folding of landing gear. It's just like some of these stuff, and then you get to fly something, and, and, and it, it's going to sort of, it's obviously it going to be also uh, something that is going to be a tremendous sort of boost in showing, showing people that, you know, this is flying, and it's going to run the same, same um, motor electronics uh, or, or yep. sort of inverters uh, software. But but ultimately, it's 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 something that we we don't we don't really believe that we need to prove that a, a, a high wing aircraft that looks like a Dash Seven flies. Like, I think people no. people will believe us that. Well, uh, it'll be a fun
1: thing to take to air shows.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, it, it uh, you know, you'll it, be able to it, actually take
1: it to places. You'll be able to set up booths. You'll be able to take it to. Yeah. You'll have the you know one of the biggest radio controlled aircraft at a, any of the RC shows you go to.
2: Yeah, now it, it is, you know what the big problem with the subscale aircraft and deciding to build that as, a, as an aerospace company is, is that everybody becomes like a kid <laughs> with this stupid RC plane. I would. Like, you know, we have people, and I love RC aircraft, and you you know, you have uh, people and we're trying to sort of, okay, let's eat our vegetables and go through the, you know, do 178 do 254 and figure out how to write cert- certified software or something like that. And somebody brings... <laughs> brings the rc plane to the office and all of a sudden you know people are like oh yeah let's
1: let's play with the rc plane (laughs) we were
2: like you know and i have to like try to like bite my lip and be like no shit i i we we have to do all this this grown-up stuff and Um, and uh the the mechanic guys had a
1: different problem they were all kite surfers and they always put themselves where kite surfing was good, so oh, yeah. if the wind got up, they just all went kite surfing. <laughs>
2: yeah. Now, but, but but what what is, what's our big next step and what we're doing for the thirty-five million is that we're the big do risk here is to make, make sure that we reach that sort of ten to the power of minus nine or these really really high safety margins that are required to put people on a metal can and and you know get them uh, 3000 uh, 3, meters up in the air, right? Yep. So. And and an aircraft, you know, it's the propulsion system is the more, most complex part. But this this interconnection of all these complex components, you know, from the environmental control system to the avionics to de icing systems, which is, you know, oh my god. Uh, and, and then there's, uh, you know, uh, maybe I, did I say flight controls? But but yeah. you know, everything else there. Uh, it's vastly showing...
1: simpler than a fuel based airplane, but.
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you don't have any bleed air to melt off the ice of the wings, or yep. you, you can't feed that into. And, uh, uh, you know, fortunately, there's been a large move towards more electric aircraft, you know, even the Boeing 787 or Airbus A350. You know, they have a lot of electric system where it used to be hydraulic or bleed air systems. Yep. So there's a lot of technology there. And, and you know, it's something, not something that we necessarily take or we don't take in house. We just send yeah. it out to send out the RFIs to, to the suppliers, and we've been overwhelmed. By by, you know, it's like Christmas Eve when you get an RFI response, and you like, "Oh, look at the cool things that that, that people are working on." And uh, but it, so we're building a sort of an iron bird or a, like an iron slash copper bird, where mm-hmm. we're sort of building a mock-up of the airframe. We're putting the motor there, but you know we have a dual winding motor, so we can run them against themselves. We don't need to put the propeller there, but we can still run them at sort of full speed mm-hmm. and brake with half the motor, and essentially run that system, uh, or, or you know, or we put a load cell on and we actually run with the full battery pack, but build a plane on the ground, which is an iron bird slash copper bird, where we start testing, okay, is the flight control system working? Is the, and just sort of, you know, get all those sort of hard wind loop tests. And it's something that, you know, a lot of aerospace projects do, you know, like the good ones build iron birds. The problem is that they have to put the propulsive systems in a different room or outside because they're polluting so much and they're making so much noise. Yep here you'll be like able to stand on looking at an airframe and it'll be running at 1.2 megawatts Yeah, <laughs> and you'll be, you can walk right next to it and you can stand next to the, say the, the ailerons and somebody could be moving, uh, moving the, the side stick or, uh, and, and you, you can test it and see, okay, oh nice. this all works. So then you can start, you know, planning everything. And, and I think, you know, the value of, of putting that out there, sort of like I was described with the subscale of, of OK, how, what's the nacelle folding mechanism, right? And just testing that, uh, figuring out the stupid things like, oh, the wires shouldn't be this short. Or, you know, OK, here we have a wiring coming in here and it's going to hit our environmental control system here. Or, you know, this is going to be hard to, uh, to assemble or all of this stuff. It's sort of you're yep. forcing yourself into doing that. And that's going to be our big demonstrator, and we we have actually gotten fairly far far in building this this skeleton and frame, and we're going to be putting. I think the first thing we're going to be putting is 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 the, is the blinky lights, which is going be, <laughs> like, it's going to be the hello world for the for the for 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 the uh, the iron bird is just to see that we 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 put all the lanterns and and navigation lights on it, and then we're going to start in, in, installing avionics and and flight controls and. I think it's going to be a sort of massively cool demonstrator, and it's really exciting to be working well, on. When it. do
1: you expect to be, you know, done as a relative term when it comes to iron birds, yeah. copper? Yeah, birds, yeah. But...
2: No, I mean, my hope is to sh- to show it sometime next year, right? Oh, so, cool. uh, and and, uh, and obviously, it's going to be a, a mix of of you know, for instance, the the lights. You know, we're going to use off the shelf lights because yep. you know there's some some stuff with that that you can. Yeah. optimize a little bit and it's going to be the same for a lot of other stuff but you want to be at a point where you say okay we're at preliminary design review this is the architecture of the plane uh, we can send this to suppliers and they're not going to come back and surprise us or you know you're going to find that one one thing <laughs> that you didn't thought you know the unknown unknown about your your architecture that you're going to be be uh you know 90 percent of your time you're going to spend solving 10 percent of the problems yeah, like you're,
1: so- you're creating not a digital twin but a physical twin and exactly,
2: yeah.
1: So listen, we're, we're at the top of the time. Um, what, yeah. what I would like to do, though, is you've got an audience, clean tech, have 50% in the United States, 50% around the rest of the world. Now, this is kind of the open-ended opportunity for you. You're a, an entrepreneur in one of the key hard-target decarbonization areas for part of the economy of the future. What would you like to share with this audience?
2: Wow. no, what, what I... What I would say, and this is sort of spontaneously coming to me, is that when, you know, sort of, you know, the, the sort of, to, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing Steve Jobs here, but you know, the world was built by people that are not much smarter than you. And you end up at a place where if you're like me, an engineer, and you, uh, you spend a lot of time on it, people tend to think, you know, we had the Fridays for Future movement because people felt powerless. In terms of climate change, but at one point you have to look at yourself and realize that hey, I actually have a skill set here. I have a toolkit here. I actually am one of the, these people in power. So uh, there's a, there's almost like a responsibility to do something with that. Uh, and you know, I'm so very fortunate to be born in the part of the world that I am, and having had the chance to get the free education having, uh, you know, getting the scholarships and also being in a place in my life where, where I, I could risk it all by starting a startup and, uh, you know, having a family that supports me and all that stuff. But it's never like somebody would anoint you and say that you're the chosen one. <laughs> you will feel like an intruder and people will tell you that you don't know what you're doing and they will uh, many times be right. Right. <laughs> but uh, but but nevertheless it takes you know so so you're never going to feel like oh shit this is uh, i uh, you know i'm the the, the next uh, you know i'm, I'm going to build the next new technology you you're, you're going to feel like like, like an impostor but you have to sort of recognize that that you're actually one of those people that 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 can do it and you need to start doing it before you are at a position where you're actually Think that you're comfortable with doing it because it's a long marathon and you need to learn along the way. I don't know if that's that's what I want to want to communicate with them. If that if that's a good good fi- parting thought.
1: Absolutely, Anders. Thank you so much. You know, this has uh, been Clean Tech Talk. We've been talking with Anders Forslund, PhD, and CEO of Heart Aerospace. And they just closed a 35 million dollar Series A funding round, and they've got pre-orders of 200 airplanes for letters of intent for North American airlines, as well as more for other airlines. They are in a really interesting position, and it's going to be very interesting to watch where they go over the next couple of years. Anders, thank you so much for your time.
2: Uh, This has been a remarkable conversation, and thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix.